All righty. Go ahead and make your way back to your seats this morning. Well, first I want to say welcome to everyone who is uh, joining us online. Oh, could you flip on those lights for me as well? Yeah, I forgot about that. There we go. Hey, there we go. Now I can see everybody better. I want to say welcome to everybody joining us online. I know we have a few people out of town that told me they're going to be watching, so I wanted to say hello to you. And also, I found out this past week when we were traveling for spring break that a lot of our family watches this, uh, watches, watches our service. So hello to all my family out there in Arizona and Oklahoma and all my friends in California and Texas and Louisiana that uh, have messaged me and said, you guys are watching. So I'm excited today to uh, kind of give you an update on a couple of things. I want to share a little bit from my heart uh, in the beginning uh, before we jump into the talk. But also, uh, if you are joining us online, we're going to do communion next week for Easter. So we'll do communion here in the room. So uh, if you're not here, I mean, if you're here with us today, but next week you'll be online, you want to prepare some communion elements for your family to take at home. We'll do communion for Easter. We did that last year, no? Yeah, we did do it last year. We just did it all virtual last year because we were shut down. That's right. Uh, can you guys believe it's been over a year, like since COVID hit? Like it's, we, we've been... We've done COVID church longer than we did our regular church. Did you, did you know that? Like, that's, that's crazy. Like, that, that's nuts. So, uh, and then we'll see what it looks like going forward. But uh, we're going to do communion next week. And then also, starting not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday, April the 7th, um, what I'm doing is, or what we're doing is I'm, uh, I'm asking all of our church to pray. Uh, because of with COVID and all the things that changed this past year, all the outreaches and stuff that we had planned to do last summer, last fall, and all that got canceled. Uh, we came up with a different plan, had to go a different direction and all that. So what I want to do is begin to pray as a church what the next few months and the rest of this year looks like for us as a church, uh, what God wants us to do, what he wants it to look like. So I'm asking you to consider uh, coming on Wednesday nights, starting April the 7th, Wednesday from 7 to 8 o'clock, we're going to do prayer here in the sanctuary. Uh, we're going to do prayer for seven weeks. So we're going to do seven weeks of prayer. What this also means is we're actually stopping everything else uh, for seven weeks. We're just doing Wednesday night prayer and Sunday morning service. We're not going to do youth. We're not going to do small groups. For seven weeks, I want as much as possible our soul, our soul focus to just be seeking the Lord in prayer and seeing what he wants us to do next. So we're inviting all the youth that normally go to youth to come here and pray with us. You know, bring your kids and, and all that. And just for seven weeks, we're going to pray Wednesday nights. So uh, after Easter, post-Easter, we'll just have Wednesday night prayer, Sunday morning prayer at 930, and then, you know, our worship gathering here uh, that we do uh, at, at 1015. And we're just going to pray and seek the Lord uh, on some stuff. You know, over the spring break, I spent some time just talking to God, talking to Brooke, and just felt like we really need to come together and pray. That God ha has a lot more for us. I mean, he, his hand is on this place, as you guys know. I mean, all this remodel stuff, new stage, all this stuff uh, that we've been able to do and never had to ask for a single dollar from our church family. God's just miraculously provided it generously from other people who believed in what God wanted to do. So I just know God has his hand on this place, but I don't know what the next few months looks like. And uh, it's time for us to move into the next phase uh, of our church growth 
depth, plant, whatever, you know. And so just come together and to pray. Uh, really, it's reverting back to the way we did things in the very, very beginning. When we started here uh, in the building a little under two years ago, and then when we started at our, our house, uh, even before that, we just we had our worship gathering together, and then we had prayer. And so uh, for seven weeks, we're going to get back to that and pray and seek the Lord. But also, I wanted to encourage you uh, to, to come and pray with us on Wednesday night, but also just be praying uh, at your house in your own time with the Lord. Pray. And if God gives you a vision, if he gives you a word for our church, if he gives you uh, some, a, a passion or something that he lays on your heart, please share it with me, share it with Brooke. We want to know about it. By all means, uh, Brooke and I are not the only ones that can hear from the Lord, okay, for Vine Church, like not even close. We know all of you hear from the Lord. And so he might drop something in your heart that is for this church family um, that he doesn't tell me, that he doesn't share with us, but he's sharing it with you because we're a family. So uh, and that goes for everybody watching online as well. You don't have to be here in person to be a part of this church family. Uh, if God drops something in your heart, like share it with us, email it, call, whatever, text, uh, anything like that. Um, so for seven weeks, I'm just calling, uh, calling our church family to pray. Seven weeks of prayer starting the week after Easter. Uh, you guys all know this, giving connection cards on the website. Uh, there's blue connection cards on the table here in the room. I don't know why we talk. I mean, you guys don't know all this already. <laughs> Let's move on. Okay, so today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 27 and in Luke 23. Matthew 27 and Luke 23. We are looking at today Jesus' final hours before his death on the cross. We're going to walk through the things that Jesus said while hanging on the cross and some implications for us today, but also for the people that he was speaking it to and around. So I've titled this talk today, Don't Carry What You Don't Need. Don't Carry What You Don't Need. You know, this past week, uh, my family, we set out on a journey from Birmingham, Alabama to Dallas, Texas, and then eventually arrived in Phoenix, Arizona, then flew back to Dallas, and then drove back home. So we're getting the kids ready. We're getting everything packed up for the trip. And I told the kids, hey, we are packing really light on this trip. We're packing really light because we're going to be traveling and going to multiple places. Uh, our kids actually slept in four different beds, but also four different places. They were at my parents, then they were at uh, our good friends, then they were at Brooke's parents, then they were at a hotel, like four nights in a row. It's like, you're going to be traveling a lot of places. And so whatever you do, don't carry what you don't need. Like, we're not taking a bunch of extra stuff. And so, of course, the kids packed the car full of Nerf guns and toys and stuff. It's like, no, no, we're not doing any of that. Like, we're not, we're not bringing all that stuff. All right, we're packing really light because whatever we're, we're getting in as, as, as few bags as possible so that we can travel really light. So we're driving the first leg of the trip to Texas, so they bring a few more things to Texas than they can fly with. But as we're in Texas getting ready uh, to wake up Saturday morning at 3.45 a.m. to then hit our five or six a.m. flight or whatever it was, you know, uh, we're, we're about to walk out the door, and Griffin, uh, our youngest, has this stuffed animal that he got a few weeks back at Great Wolf Lodge, and it's this big, giant sloth that he calls Slothy. So he's like, I'm going to grab Slothy, and I said, no, you're not going to grab Slothy. He's like, but I got to have Slothy. Like, I need it. No, you don't need Slothy. You're 
all of your clothes fit into a spot about this big in the back, and Slothy would take up that entire space himself. We are not taking Slothy on this trip, okay? Slothy will be right here in bed at Grammy and Grandpa's house in Texas when you return. You're not taking it to Phoenix with us. So uh, he's not too happy about it, but I'm like, get over it because you're not going to carry around stuff that you don't need. We get to Arizona. We go from one place to the next place to the next place to the next place. And then uh, the kids arrive back at the hotel, and the two of them are like, can we just sleep in the same bed two nights in a row? And I'm like, no, you're in the Headley family. That's not how we roll. Like, we're not that kind of family that just goes to vacation, just sits around, relaxes, and enjoys a vacation. No, we cram as much as you possibly can fit into 24 hours. We cram it in there. I was like, what? We're going to go, yeah, let's do one more. We can, we can fit it in. We can squeeze it in. Let's do it. So we don't want to carry around a bunch of stuff that we don't need. This is an essentials-only trip, all right? Brooke even mentioned uh, how proud she was of me because I used to pack the largest bag and brought the most amount of things. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid and I arrived at kids' camp or some trip and I ran out of underwear, like it was the worst thing ever. So I always like, well, I'm going to pack for twice as long. So I always packed all this stuff. Uh, and so Brooke said she's become proud of me because I, I, I'm, I've pared it down. And I only pack what I need. And guess what? We able to do laundry on the trip, you know, so you could wash your clothes. So it was great. I think a lot of times we carry a bunch of stuff with us in life that we don't need. Things that happened in the past, things that we're ashamed of, things that hurt us, pains of our past, and we, we carry it around. And we lug all these heavy, this heavy baggage day to day with us that we simply don't need. It's not beneficial. It doesn't help us. There's no reason for us to be carrying it around, but we're still carrying it. We're carrying these things from our past. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 27 and how Jesus, uh, some of the words that he says in his final moments and how this applies to carrying around a bunch of stuff that we don't need. Verse 35. After they had nailed him to the cross, the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Then they sat around and kept guard as he hung there. A sign was fashioned above Jesus' head, announcing the charge against him. It read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. So here we have Jesus, who's never committed a sin, who's never done anything wrong, who's been falsely accused, who's been brought before the religious council, said that he was blaspheming. He wasn't. Brought before Pilate. Pilate had him whipped uh, 39 times with a cat of nine tails, and then he's hanging on this cross. And in in these moments, as he's gone through all this pain, all this suffering, as he's hanging on the cross, there's soldiers gambling for his clothes, all right? Uh, They're sitting around. There's these two other revolutionaries, these criminals that he's being crucified next to, the people passing by shouted abuse as they shook their heads in mockery. As if he hasn't already been through enough, they're mocking him as he's dying on the cross. Look at you now, they yelled. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, if you are the Son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. So there's been the religious leaders who've hated Jesus for a long time, Then you have all these other people that followed Jesus for a time, that thought he might be a prophet, he's this. And now there's this mob mentality 
happening, and they're yelling these insults at Jesus, accusing him of wrong, mocking him. Verse 41, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders, they also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. So, he is the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross right now, and we will believe in him. He trusted God, so let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Even the revolutionaries who were crucified with Jesus ridiculed him in the same way. Jesus is the most alone he's ever been. He's been beaten, he's hanging on a cross, and all of these people are mocking him. Two criminals who deserve to be there are ridiculing him in the same way. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. At about 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sebachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? So Jesus, we know that he feels completely alone. All these people that followed him at one point are ridiculing him. His disciples who were closest to him, they deserted him. After uh, he prayed in the garden with them and then he was arrested, they all deserted him and left him. And then Jesus is feeling the most incredible pain of all. He's feeling a separation from his heavenly father. A separation. Now, we talked about the Trinity a few weeks back uh, and how God is three, yet he is one. So there's this oneness, this complete unity that Jesus has always experienced with the Father. This oneness with God that he's always felt until this moment because he's in such agony and in such pain and because Jesus is taking our mistakes, our sins on his shoulders, he feels completely separated from the Father. He says, my God, why have you abandoned me? Jesus is completely and totally and utterly alone. He's separated from his followers, and he's separated from the Father. See, here's the thing is, Jesus experienced separation so that we could experience unity. Jesus experienced the pain of separation so that we could experience unity. There's no way for us to be unified with the Father without Jesus. There's no way for us to be forgiven of our sins to spend eternity in heaven without Jesus. There's no way for us to be unified uh, uh, with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit to live in us and be with us without Jesus dying on the cross. He experienced this separation so that we could experience unity with the Father. So it's in this moment when Jesus feels the pain of this separation when, when, when Jesus feels the despair of this separation. Now, if you flip over to Luke chapter 23, you don't have to go there in your Bible. I'll have it on the screen. So you don't have to flip back and forth. But Luke 23, the same account, right? Matthew writes the first account. This is Luke's account of the same exact events. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him when they came to a place called the school. They nailed Jesus to the cross. The criminals were cru also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Remember, there are these people mocking Jesus, the religious leaders mocking Jesus. His disciples have deserted him. He feels completely and utterly alone. He feels separated from the Father. God, why did you forsake me? And then this is what Jesus says. Forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. In his moment of greatest despair, he was offering forgiveness 
for those who had nailed him to the cross. He was offering forgiveness. He said, God, forgive them. In their ignorance, in their deception, they simply don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. See, Jesus offers forgiveness when we don't know what we're doing. When we don't know what we're doing. You know, here we have a, a few different people, a few different characters in this story. The religious leaders, the religious leaders, uh, they, they didn't know what they were doing in the sense of they were ignorant and they were deceived. They had been deceived by the evil in their hearts, by the evil one that Jesus was bad and he was wrong. They had been deceived and so they are crucifying him. They're betraying him. There's others that were just caught up in the mentality of the mob. You know, they're just, they were once following Jesus. They're confused. They don't know what's really happening. But then they see, well, everybody else is, you know, throwing shade on Jesus, so we will too. And that, that seems like they don't know what they're doing simply out of ignorance because they're, they're confused by their circumstances. You know, in life, there are times where we are deceived. There are times where we are confused. And there are also simply times where, like, our flawed human nature causes us to do things that we don't want to do. Even after we believe in Jesus, after we are saved and we know him, there are times where our sin, human nature kicks in and we start, I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about. There's been times where you've done things that you did not want to do and you're like, why did I just do that? Why did I just lash out in anger and say that or do that? Like, why? Someone asked me an innocuous question. Why did I just lie to them? Like, what? you can go into deeper things. Like, there are times where this flawed human body, this human soul does things that we simply, we don't, we don't want to do and we, we don't know why we're doing them. Paul talks about this in, in Romans 7. Now, there's been all kinds of theologians that have debated what Paul was talking about here. Was he talking about pre-salvation or post-salvation? Was he talking about after you followed Jesus because he talks about this dual nature? But let's read it. He says, Paul says, I don't really understand myself. Have you ever felt that way? Right? I mean, just like, let's stop. Have you ever said, I, I don't, I mean, if you haven't, then you're either awesome. Probably not. You're probably just confused because you don't understand yourself. None of us do. Paul's like, I don't really understand myself for I, I want to do what is right, but I, I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that, when, that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It's the sin living in me that does it. He goes on. He says, And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing it, doing wrong. It's the sin living in me that does it. Theologians have debated this whole thing for, for, for centuries. And I'm here once and for all to definitively answer this for you, okay? I don't know. That's the answer. Like, I don't know. Is this post-salvation, you know, uh, pre-salvation? Like, I, I, I don't know. But I think we can all identify with this, right? There are times where like, I don't understand myself. I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't know. I, I, I do what I hate. I don't want to be angry. I don't want to lie. I don't want to steal. I don't want to cheat. I don't want to deceive. I don't want to uh, uh, be insecure. Like what, you know, 
And it could go even further. Like, I don't want to give in to that addiction. I don't want to do, I don't want, I do what I hate, but it feels like I can't. But Paul says is when we recognize that it's wrong, when we see that what we're doing is wrong and we don't want to do it, then actually that's a, a, a place of spiritual enlightenment. We understand that it's wrong. That means the law is good, and that means there's this sin nature inside of us that's causing us to do it. So it's a sin nature that's doing it. What's happening here is the confusing, complex, complicated nature of the human experience is, is on display. I, I don't understand myself. I don't... Jesus offers forgiveness when we don't know what we're doing. When we just don't know. Like, I don't know why I did, why I'm doing, why I, why I feel this way. Jesus offers forgiveness when we don't know what we're doing. In his moment of greatest despair, he says, forgive them for they simply don't know what they're doing. And I talked about it a few weeks ago. Sometimes you got to give yourself a break. Sometimes you've got to give yourself a kick, but I think a lot of times in those moments we've got to give ourselves a break. We've got to recognize we are living in, in, with a sin nature that is still inside of us, and we're getting better, and we're becoming more like Jesus, but it's still there, and we're going to make mistakes. We're going to mess up, and Jesus offers forgiveness when we simply don't know what we're doing. Continuing on in Luke 23, the crowd watched, and the leader scoffed. He saved others. They said, let him save himself if he's really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked by offering him a sour drink of wine. They called out, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, This is the king of the Jews. So we know this is the same, uh, this is the, the same uh, time we read about in Matthew, but Luke's account. And then look what Luke writes right after this. But one of the criminals hanging on the cross said, So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? And look at verse 41. We deserve to die for our crimes. See, one criminal is joining in the mob, mocking Jesus. The other one says, what do you do? Don't you know we deserve this? We deserve what is happening to us because we have done so much wrong. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. The other criminal recognizes Jesus was perfect, had never sinned, and said, but we deserve this. We've messed up. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And look at Jesus' reply. I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. See, Jesus offers forgiveness when we do things that we don't want to do, when we don't know what we're doing, when our sin nature kicks in. But also, Jesus offers forgiveness when we know deeply what we've done. When we know deeply what we've done. As I was kind of thinking about this, praying over this, uh, it did, and uh, looking for like a story or an illustration to share for this point, I didn't have to think two seconds to remember some things that I've done that I'm really ashamed of. Things I did back in high school, I decided not to tell any of those stories. Because my parents watch this and they don't even know about them all. It didn't take me long because we remember our greatest failures. We remember our greatest mistakes. Don't carry around what you don't need. It didn't take me long to remember the mistakes that I've made in the past that I know deeply what I did. I know deeply what I've done. 
And if I'm not careful, I can carry those things with me and feel so ashamed of my past mistakes, so ashamed to the point where I can allow even the enemy to deceive me into believing that I can't uh, preach the gospel, that I can't do this. Because Nathan, when you were 16, you did. When you were 18, you did. You know, I can allow the enemy to lie to me and I can be trapped by my past. We have to recognize that Jesus offers forgiveness when we know deeply what we've done. He looks at this criminal, and this criminal knows deeply, well, I deserve to die. I deserve to be on this cross. Jesus, will you remember me? And he says, today, not only will I remember you, you're going to join me in paradise. You're going to spend eternity in heaven, even though you've spent a lifetime doing things wrong. When we know deeply what we've done, Jesus offers forgiveness. And when Jesus forgives us for our past, we need to also forgive ourselves. Jesus forgives us, but sometimes we're just really reluctant to forgive ourselves, and we just carry that around. Like I said in the beginning, we, we carry around stuff that we shouldn't carry because we don't need it. It's not beneficial. Now, there are some mistakes that we make that we need to remember so we don't make those same mistakes again. But what we need to remember is the lesson, not the shame of the mistake. So let's not, well, we're not going to throw the past out like, and I'm going to, you know, as if it never happened, so then I don't learn those. No, no, no. We want to learn from those things. But I don't need to carry around the guilt and the shame of scratching someone else's car with my car and never telling them. If that were to be one of the things that I did when I was in high school that was dumb that my parents don't know about. If that were to be one, hypothetically. Jesus offers forgiveness when we know deeply what we've done. You know, uh, our kids, especially our boys, they like to do something that my brother and I did when we were kids. And that is, we would constantly try to one-up one another, right? Like, well, I bet I can do a backflip. I bet I can do two backflips. Like, you're always one-upping one another. I remember even as a young kid arguing with other people in my school classroom about what all the things our dad could do. You know, like, my dad could lift 200 pounds. My dad could lift 500 pounds. My dad could lift 1,000 pounds, having no idea how much weight that actually is, right? Like, you, you, you one-up one another. But I remember there was like, you had this card in your back pocket that when you pulled out that card, it's like it shut down the conversation. So at some point in time, you would just continually one-up one another until someone said, well, my dad can lift infinity, right? Because infinity is like the be-all, end-all. Like there's a trillion. Well, when I grow up, I'm going to make a billion dollars. When I grow up, I'm going to make infinity amount of dollars. It's like, okay, well, I guess technically we all make infinity because it's like it's never-ending. But anyways, it, it, it's just like, it's just this, sense of, well, and what is infinity? It means it's ongoing. It's, it doesn't stop. How many times does Jesus offer us forgiveness? Infinity. How many times does Jesus give us a fresh start? Infinity. He ne- we don't get to the point where Jesus says, yeah, no. That was 490. You're done. It's all, it's all, all the forgiveness is, is gone. I'm not going to forgive you anymore. I'm not going to offer you a fresh start anymore. It's done. You've done too many things. You've messed up too many times. You know what? I told you, if, if, if you lied a thousand times, 
I would never forgive you for lying anymore. If that was a thousand, you're done. Like Jesus doesn't do that. He, he always offers forgiveness for the things that we don't want to do, that we, we do anyways, for things that we know we've deeply done. Here's the thing. Jesus always offers the humble a fresh start. There is a key to receiving forgiveness. There is a key to having a fresh start, and it's humility. When we look at the, the criminal on the cross, one's accusing Jesus, mocking him, the other one in, hum, in humility, with humble recognition of what he has done, says, Jesus, I, I, would you remember me? I've done so much. I've messed up so many times. You've never done, would you remember? It's this, this humble approach to God. See, Jesus always offers a fresh start to those that approach him in humility. Humility is the key to forgiveness. Humility is the key to starting over, to having a fresh start. You know, I've been thinking, uh, obviously, a lot about our church these next few months. Like I said, we're going to pray for seven weeks just kind of to hear the Lord on all this. But just in the the midst of what we've all gone through this past, you know, year and month or whatever with COVID and shutdowns and reopens and then masks and back, just all... Political stuff, and it's just been, it's been, it was a crazy year. It was a crazy year. A lot of things begin to be shifted. Spending time with, you know, family over the week in different states, and spending, people are doing different things. People are reorganizing life, reorganizing priorities, changing jobs. Like things have been accelerated a little bit. Like in this, what's going to happen these next, you know, six months? Like no one knows, none of us can say. But I do think that a lot of people need a fresh start. Just need a fresh start. Jesus always offers us a fresh start if we approach him with humility. You might need a fresh start. Maybe you felt overwhelmed, anxious, angry, confused. You know? Maybe you've been the opposite. You've you've been overconfident, prideful, conceited, we, we can all start fresh if we come before Jesus in humility and ask for forgiveness. He always offers forgiveness. When we don't know what we're doing, when we know deeply what we've done, as long as we approach him in humility, he offers us a fresh start. Jesus experienced separation from the Father so that we could experience unity, but there's a key to us experiencing that unity. It's humility recognizing we need a Savior, recognizing we need forgiveness, recognizing that we're not perfect, sometimes giving ourselves a break, sometimes giving ourselves a kick. Verse 44, by this time, it was about noon, and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. There's this curtain that sat in between the holy place and the most holy place. This curtain separated the place that the the priests could operate the holy place from the most holy place, where only the high priest could operate one time a year. Because the most holy place was the representation of God's manifest presence on the earth. 
in the Old Testament, there was a cloud, God's manifest presence, there was this cloud that resided over the most holy place. And there's this story in, in, in the, the Old Testament where the cloud that's over the most holy place, it leaves, and there's this mourning and weeping because God's manifest presence removes from the most holy place. But what's happening here is there's this curtain that is torn, that God himself tears down the middle from top to bottom, tears down this curtain from the place where the normal priest could operate to where only the high priest could operate once a year, symbolizing that every single person on the planet has direct access to the Father now. Not just the high priest, not just once a year. All of us have direct access to the Father. Jesus experienced separation in pain so that we could experience unity And here's the thing, we don't have to go to a temple, we don't have to go into a church building, we don't have to go to a small group, no matter where we are, at any point in time, whenever we make a mistake, right in that moment we can ask for forgiveness and we can get a fresh start. If we're feeling weak and tired and weary, we can get into the presence of God at any moment because the presence of God is no longer a place that we go to physically, it's a place we go to spiritually. We can spiritually enter into his presence and receive what we need from him if we humbly approach God. Jesus shouted, I entrust my spirit into your hands. With those words, he breathed his last. Next Sunday is Easter Sunday. And we're going to talk all about what takes place next. If you don't know the end of the story, Jesus comes back. This moment in history. Sometimes I don't think we pause and think about this moment. The period from when Jesus died before he resurrected. This moment where all of salvation, all of eternity for all of us is in limbo. I mean, it was, he was going to come back to life. But in this moment, this dark period... What kind of confusion do the disciples feel? What kind of confusion do the followers of Jesus feel when he's dead and he's gone? And they don't understand that he's going to come back. They don't know. I think sometimes, even though we know the end of the story, we sit in that kind of place of confusion. We sit in that darkness. But guess what? The light is always coming. Jesus always comes back to life. He never stays dead. He always, that's the end of the story. He will come back to life, and then he'll live forever. So if you're experiencing a time of darkness, if you're experiencing a time of confusion, maybe press into Jesus in these moments, because there is light at the end of that tunnel. There is hope. I want to talk all about that hope. Next week, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you gave yourself for us. God, in this moment, we pause and we say thank you for allowing yourself to be separated from the Father so that we could be united. God, we thank you that even when we make mistakes and we don't understand why we're doing what we're doing because we don't want to do it, that you offer forgiveness and a fresh start. 
God, I pray that none of us would carry around the things from our past that we don't need to carry around. We'd leave them in the past. We would see that you offer us forgiveness and a fresh start. God, I pray if any of us are experiencing darkness and despair, sadness, grief, God, I pray that in these moments we would run to you and know that hope is just around the corner. It's just just a couple days away. Father, I pray that as we celebrate Easter next week, God, as we we take uh, a day out of our year to celebrate the greatest event in history, I pray that we wouldn't take it lightly, God, but that we would really recognize and appreciate what you did for us and the freedom that we now have because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Well, Josh, I'm going to go ahead and come on up and get ready. We're going to sing one more worship song uh, here together today. But before we do that, if you'd grab that blue connection card.